This is, as you've heard, the first Sunday in Epiphany, and uh, as I was preparing the message, I'm thinking, you know what, I'm not sure how many people actually know what Epiphany is. Mm-hmm. If you've been, if you're not familiar with the Anglican tradition or liturgical tradition specifically, then Epiphany might be a little bit of a, oh my goodness, I'm not even really sure what that means, because I get, you know, I get Christmas, that's a day, and then there's Easter, that's a day, but then you tell me that Christmas is actually 12 days, and so, and then Easter is more than one day, that's Holy Week. And then before Christmas, we did something called Advent. And then before Easter, there's something called Lent. And now in between, just when I thought I was getting it all mastered, here comes Epiphany. Honestly, it sounds like a pop star's name. I really don't know what Epiphany <laughs> is. But Epiphany is a fancy Greek word that essentially means the appearance or the manifestation. And the season is about, and the Gospels are focused on, telling us who Christ is. And it's one of the things I love about the liturgical season because it is, it is organized around the life of Christ. It is organized around our heart's love if we're really pressing into what uh, the Holy Spirit intends, that we would love Jesus above all other affections in this world and in this life. And to do that, just like any relationship, you want to walk with that person in a relationship. You want to know what they've gone through. You want to understand what their life is like, that you might understand how to respond. The liturgical season gives us access and gives us focus. And so Epiphany is the manifestation of Jesus to whom? To the whole world, to the Gentiles. This is why yesterday was... Uh, the Feast of the Magi, the three kings, the ones that go to Jesus. These are people that are searching out the meaning of the star that they've seen. And they, as Magi, they are not Jews. They are representative of everyone else who's not Jewish. And they find the infant Jesus and they present to him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gifts that are fit for a king. And now today, in this first actual Sunday of Epiphany, we have the focus is on the baptism of Jesus. We call it baptized for good. If we were going to do a small one, we could do a, wait, what's that? Wait, what's that about? Wait, what? Jesus is baptized? Does that strike you as a little bit odd? Like, I know I need to be baptized. I was baptized. I'm thankful I'm baptized. But Jesus? Why does Jesus need to be baptized? Each of the synoptic gospels tells us a little aspect of this. We're in the briefest account, which is in Mark. Mark says, as you have just heard read by Cindy, just as Jesus was, well, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as the, Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. At once, and then that's it. That's the account. What's going on? Why is Jesus being baptized? Why does Mark tell us about this? Why does Matthew elaborate on it? Why does Luke include it? And kind of sort of teasingly, John just refers to, uh, the Gospel of John refers to John the Baptist's testimony that says, yeah, I saw the Spirit descending on him as a dove. But there's no record of, of John actually witnessing the baptism. But here we have the baptism 
of Christ. And what is that about? The first thing to notice is that this is really an anointing. The idea of God the Father speaking, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, listen to him, is, is part of the anointing understanding. This is how in, in Bible times, in what we call Old Testament times, kings were brought, were brought to the leadership of Israel. They were anointed. Think of Samuel who anoints Saul. And then when Saul messes it up, Samuel is sent by whom? By God to go and anoint David. And, and this anointing is, is in the line of that. God is anointing Jesus, his son himself. He is with his affirmation. And so there's an anointing that designates Jesus as king, as king of kings and as lord of lords. The affirmation of the heavenly father is saying he is my son. There's a, a host of images that we know Christ by, king and son and servant that are all contained in this baptism. So part of the reason that we're focusing on this is that, that the liturgical calendar and the readings focus on this is that we may better understand who Jesus is and what he came to do. It is vital that people see Jesus, that the gospel writers want everyone to know that Jesus is the one who was prophesied as coming as servant. He is the one that God is, is affirming from a voice from heaven. And then if and then what else happens? The spirit descends on him as a dove. The spirit who equips, the spirit who goes with, the spirit of God. We won't nerd out theologically, but it's kind of interesting that two, as two persons in the Trinity are affirming the third person or the second person in the Trinity. The first and the third affirming the second. It's kind of mind-boggling. But it is God saying, this is my son who is your salvation. Jesus' very name means what? God saves. And so we have an anointing that he is king. And what the king has come to do is actually to establish his kingdom, but he's coming as a servant. He's, this is the Isaiah passage. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I put my spirit in him. This, you could almost hear the words of the heavenly father in there. What is this servant to do? A little bit later, Isaiah says, I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant people and a light for the Gentiles to open the eyes of the blind and free the captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Essentially, the heavenly father is sending his one and only son to rectify all that has gone wrong in this world, all the fallenness of creation that is manifest in so many ways, gets, re, gets addressed and, and gets restored in a way that we don't understand, but only through Jesus, starting with the way that, that he comes and he bears our sin. He takes care of the one thing that has separated us from God. It is our own sin. It is our own fallenness. It is something that we were born into and that we can't help ourselves and we are without hope in this world. And yet God provides hope in the form of his servant. So Jesus, you know, the baptism of Jesus means that he's, he's the fulfillment of God's plan for us. This is why Paul says, Paul says in, in Romans, you know, how do we participate in, in that? And, and what does baptism mean? Here's what Paul describes the role of baptism in our lives. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may live a new life. What does the baptism of Jesus mean for us? It is, the, it is essentially, the, it is a calling or a connection. It connects us with us humanly because Jesus never sends his disciples to do anything that he has not done himself. He is baptized according to Matthew that all righteousness would be fulfilled. In other words, it is important that people have a posture of facing God, of living for God, which for most of, for every one of us, but Jesus himself means turning from sin and these things. And so just to be clear, Jesus is not being baptized for any hidden sins. He's being baptized in order to fulfill righteousness. He's being baptized in order to uh, do what he will call his disciples to do. And those of you who know the, end, the way that he commissions his disciples just before he ascends to heaven at the end of Matthew, go ye into all the world, making disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I have taught you, and what? And baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism begins the ministry of Christ. And baptism, the command to baptize, is what he commands his disciples to do before he goes to heaven. Baptism is, in essence, a bookend to his earthly ministry. Baptism is something that Jesus had to do. And, and as Romans is telling us, it connects us with his death and his resurrection. When I think of the baptism of Christ, I often think of it in that terms. I'm baptized into Jesus. What am I baptized into? I'm baptized into his work. I'm baptized into his salvation. The things that he did on the cross, I can participate in and be benefited by because of what? Because of my baptism. Because in that time of baptism, I said, or in my case, because I was baptized as an infant, my parents and my godparents said, we want this child to belong to Jesus Christ. If you're baptized as an adult, you said that for yourself. I want to be baptized into Jesus Christ. That was a nice short way to say, I want to participate in the, that his sacrificial death for me. And I want the promise of the resurrection that awaits me. Baptism is called sometimes, and rightly so, an initiation rite. It initiates us into the kingdom of God. It initiates us into the work of Christ on our behalf. I don't know how many clubs and things that people belong to here. Maybe you're part of a social club. Maybe you're part of AAA. Maybe you got to the neighborhood association. Maybe you were on Open Door, but you got off of Open Door. You know, we can belong to a lot of different things. But the most important thing that we can belong to is the person of Christ. The most important initiation, right? The thing that is most, like, the one decision we really ought to make is to say, Lord, your life is the life that I want. I, I want more than just forgiveness. See, the disciples, when they're being baptized, they're not just being baptized and walking away, they're being baptized and then following. And there can be no greater life, not necessarily an easier life, but no greater life than to follow him. And baptism is essentially signing up for that, if we properly understand what it is. But here's something that I think uh, we often overlook in our very individualistic American kind of mindset. We, we often overlook the fact that baptism, when we're baptized into Christ, we're actually baptized into a fellowship. We're baptized into a body of believers. We're baptized, we become members of a family, brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Here's how Paul explains it uh, to the Corinthian church. He said, uh, just as there's a body, though one, just as a body has many parts, but the many parts form one body, so it is in Christ. For we were all, what, baptized in one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we are all given the one spirit to drink. Allusion to Holy Communion. Fantastic stuff. Press on, won't digress. Uh, even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Here's what he's saying. So we're, we're baptized into the work of Christ, which we love and we need as individuals. Everyone will stand before him. But we're also, by being baptized into Christ, being formed into his body. And when we're formed into the body, it is so that we would do things that Christ needs us to do. Because Jesus goes, or Paul goes on to explain that, hey, in this body, people have abilities and people have gifts and people have experiences. And they're all to be used in the mix of glorifying God. Oftentimes, well, about three times, Paul will name some of these gifts. There's teaching and there's um, calling out mysteries and there's prophecy and there's service and there is host of healing. There's a variety of things that, that the Holy Spirit, who we saw descend on the Lord at his baptism, is descending upon you or has descended upon you in your baptism and now is working out his call and his plan through the gifts that he's given. One of the joys of pursuing the Christian life is trying to unwrap what that gift package is. That's kind of fun. I think the older we get, maybe we don't like the mystery of just opening up presents you know, just, just send it to me now. If it's in a cardboard box, that's good. But as kids, we liked opening it up. We liked the paper. We liked tearing it. We, my parents didn't. But we liked doing all that stuff. There's a sense of discovering what God has given to each of us. And it's not for our benefit. It is for his glory and it is for the common good. And that's really important. So we're, we're baptized into the work of Christ, but we're baptized into a church. We're baptized into a body of believers. We are baptized into a local congregation called Holy Trinity. And so that plan that Jesus has for the church is the plan that we, as a community called Holy Trinity, get to live out, get to discover. And see, the, the, mission, you know, the, the church that is worthy of Christ is the one that is doing the work of Christ. He comes as a servant to give sight to the blind, to bring healing, to uh, tell the day of release for the captives. These are things that the church is to carry on in his name and in his power. And that is a very daunting but also exciting challenge, whatever that means. But we can only do that together. You know, there's such an, a, a, a bias towards individual life in Christ. Like, what am I doing with you, Jesus? What are you doing with me? I want to understand that. And Jesus will often, well, usually the Spirit will say, well, you're part of a church. You're part of working this out with a local group. Part of supporting that. Part of uh, being in the lives of people, not only who are baptized along with you, but also those that I am bringing into this fellowship. If we would do, the, as we do, not if we do, because we are doing it, as we continue to do the things that God calls a church to do, which is to make his salvation known, which is to live in the truth of the coming kingdom, which is to be bold in the face of things that are daunting, which is not to depend on ourselves, but to come to him and say, Lord, I need you to do this, but you have called us to make your word known, to make your love known, to make your life known, to make your forgiveness known. That's the part 
I want to play. That's the part we need to play. We do that in a service like this through um, our time together, through communion that we'll have, through the prayer that we'll be led in, through times after the church service where we just hang out and connect. Like that's powerful. We, we could spend time, maybe we should do it when we're connecting after service. Just like think of a time when you were, somebody blessed you at church out of the blue. They said that you had a conversation and suddenly they said, hey, I, I can help with that. Or they gave you a word of encouragement. The first job I had in tech came from such an encounter. I was, I was at a, a high school counselor meeting and uh, at lunch I met a couple who we were just getting to know each other and they said, well, what are you doing? And I said, well, A, I'm unemployed, uh, but B, I'm looking for a tech kind of thing. And they said, oh, we know a guy who works in tech. And they gave me his number and I went and connected with him and long story short, he got me into the interview cycle and that was my first tech job. I didn't go to the conference to meet somebody who I could network with. I just went to be the person that God wanted me to be in that assignment. But God will take whatever we're doing and multiply that and do things that he's already planned us to do. In fellowship, there's nothing random. We think it's random or we think we don't have the time or we think it's almost optional. But I would just say, God is doing things when we get together, things that he has plan that we are not aware of. I think that's part of the joy. A word of encouragement, a word of exhortation. That's my hope. That's my experience of Holy Trinity. As we continue to do that, God will continue to just have people be a part of this. And then the gifts that they have and the experiences that they bring will be part of his mission. It's just developing mission. He's developing the, the, the ability to make himself known through a local body. How would we, how do we press into that just as Holy Trinity for a minute? Maybe I'm thinking about this just because we're, we're about to move locations and that's not necessarily a small thing. I think it's just so you guys know, not everybody knows the, the backstory, but we, we, we're thinking about it, the opportunity to move from a Sunday afternoon to a Sunday morning with greater facilities came up in last, this past no, summer last year. And we said, yeah, we'd be interested. And they said, we're glad you're interested. And they went off and talked to a bunch of other people. And we're like, okay. Uh, and, and so just when we, we, we just thought, okay, that's great. That's not God's plan. We're, we're doing, you know, we love this beautiful sacred place, the sanctuary, the facility, all the, the, the graciousness of the AME church. So we're fine. It just as we were planning for 2024, I called them up because I hadn't heard anything. And I said, hey, um, just wanting to know if anything has changed. Don't think so. But, you know, get back to me. And they said, well, we're glad that you called because we were going to get in touch with you. And would you, are you still interested in a Sunday morning spot? Are you interested in a spot that gives you the opportunity to do catechesis before Sunday school? Yes. Are you interested in a spot that gives you potentially a little bit better kid space? Yes. Are you interested in a spot that gives you an opportunity to have a, a midweek evening meeting if you want to do alpha or something like that? Yes, still interested. And so that just began kind of a, a short, uh, shorter discussion, fortunately. The, the staff team, the vestry were involved in that. And we just thought, Lord, this is you opening up a door for whatever you have in the way of 
of taking this grace of yours that's part of Holy Trinity and making it more widely known, more widespread to other people so that they too can come in and experience the baptized life, the life of a believer, the life that is centered on Jesus, the life that says, Lord, I, my highest joy and calling is to live for you, but there's such a part of me that really resists that. I need help. I need to be in a fellowship. So as we prepare for that, um, I just want to say, I, I don't know like a ton of stuff that's going to change. I mean, the time will change and we'll need a uh, a few more people, but I just want to, it's an opportunity to reinforce what our original commitments have been as Holy Trinity. This might be new for some of you guys, a little bit, you know, a little nostalgia throwback Sunday, but, you know, a little over four years ago, there's a core team of, of us that were gathering and just being before the Lord, how do you want us to do this thing called, called Holy Trinity? We, we focused on Acts 2, 42 to 47. This is the church that's just been inaugurated by the Holy Spirit. And the first thing it says is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. So our first commitment was to pray. Like, we, we, have, we have to pray. There's nothing that God does except in response to prayer, said one, uh, one of the theologian. I think he was a pastor. But he's just doing that in order to, that we would know how important prayer is. I don't know anybody, any man or woman who God has used mightily who hasn't had deep and challenging struggles that they weren't utterly bringing before God in prayer. I don't know any ministry or any, any fruit that any effort on, in the name of the Lord has borne without steadfast prayer. I don't know any hope or any dream or any future that's actually come into reality without people praying. We will not be the first church that achieves whatever God has without praying. We must continue to be in prayer. The other commitment that we had was to gather. It said they met uh, in temple courts and from house to house. They, they, they were meeting weekly, daily in some places. But there's something that God does when the saints actually gather. That's really challenging in our Silicon Valley world, to be sure. I, you know, it's not, sometimes Sunday comes around pretty quickly and you're like, oh my goodness, who's just there? Or so many things are busy in our lives, but just know how, how precious it is when the saints are gathered together. We often underestimate the value of our presence in any kind of group. Kind of like maybe it's that Groucho Marx mindset the old comedian used to say, I would never join a club that would have me for a member. <laughs> well, that's not... Any, any church that I know. Every, you, you know, sometimes you go to a, have you ever been to a party or a gathering? Oh, I hope so-and-so is going to be there. And then they're not there and you think, oh, man. Okay, I guess I'll have to meet somebody new. But gathering is really important. Gathering is big. Gathering is just part of the church. It's not easy. But when, it, God is bringing people regularly to our church. And he's going to bring people that need to hear what you have to share. Your friendliness, your encouragement, your smile. And you'll need that as well. So we pray and we gather and we serve. Remember, service is a gift, but that doesn't mean only the gifted have to serve. It's service is a call on everybody. In that Acts 2 passage, they are uh, distributing funds to the needy. They are dealing with food for folks. They are managing what we would now call ministry. And behind the scenes are what? People that are serving oil in the gears that are making that work. You guys uh, are marvelous servants. I, I mean, there's such an array of capability. 
and Holy Trinity. And I just, I love it when we're able to do that. Um, there may be more opportunities to serve. Stay tuned. If you'd like to serve more, great. If you'd like to change the pace, great. If you know somebody else, let us know. But we would love and we will need some sort of additional resource in that area. And then finally, the fourth commitment was to give. Remember, they, they are saying, the early church, there's nothing that, we, that belongs to us. We are sharing it in common. Later on in Acts, Barnabas goes out and sells a house. It's pretty amazing. He takes the proceeds and he gives it to the disciples' feet. But part of the mark of the church is a generous heart, a generous giving. And specifically regarding funds, regarding money. And that's always hard. You know, they, we get <laughs> a part of a church some years ago where any talk about giving was kind of like an eat your broccoli message. It's like, oh my goodness, I have to eat my vegetables. It's so terrible. But, but giving is really an act of worship, as is serving, as is gathering, as is prayer. It is a way to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I want you to, you, you have my life. You died for me that I might live for you. I, I, there, I, there's nothing else I want to hold back. So let me encourage, I, in the letter from the rector that hopefully most of you got, I encourage people to prayerfully just consider as you head into this new year, is there any addition changing to your giving pattern that might be a benefit? Let me encourage you further that just uh, when in my early discipleship, the group, the folks that discipled me were big on tithing. You know, they would say the first fruits principle, Proverbs 3, offer God the first fruits of your labor. Give that to him. So that meant, you know, if in the harvest back then, people harvest, they brought a bit of harvest in. Um, for me, my translation was at my first tech job, I started taking that some portion of that, some percentage of that and setting that aside for the work of God. Some of it went to the church, some of it went to other ministries. But here's the challenge, the, the opportunity really. If you're not in the habit of tithing, of setting aside some sort of percentage, I'd encourage you to do that. Don't tell me, I don't know who gives what around here, just so you know. Um, I might know who gives, but I'm not, I don't, don't ever think that whatever you're deciding to do is something that comes between me and you, because I don't want it to, and it hasn't. But do know, that being generous is the mark of, of pleasing God. The fact is that we're going into a facility that's a little more expensive than the one we're in now. We have a few more costs than we haven't had before. And so I, I say that really out of a, a place of just letting you know needs. But if, if you don't have that freedom that comes from sort of a tithe mindset of some kind, of setting aside, I really just encourage you to prayerfully consider that. There's great power when you've done that and God puts a need on your heart and you say, you know what, I can meet that need. That's really powerful. So we pray, we gather, we serve, we give. As the Lord leads each of us and as he leads us together. And so Jesus' baptism means that we are part of his new life, part of eternal life, part of the kingdom. It also means that we are on a mission with him that he closes out his earthly ministry with. Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. And we're the ones in this time, in 2024 now, in this Silicon Valley, which Lord knows could use a little more mission, a little more prayer, a little more being alongside of people, a little more encouragement, a little more invitation into this life in Christ, however they get to experience that. That's why we're here. That's why we're doing what we're doing, because Christ has called us. And he gives us the resources. He gives us all that we need in order to do that. And so, I, you know, I'm very um, 
I'm just very much looking forward to seeing what God is going to do in this year. As we move, you know, the, the end of this month is our first Sunday in the new place. Uh, locations aren't the be-all and end-all. Locations are an example. Uh, in our case, it is the Lord just saying, there's additional mission opportunities that will come with this. And I just want to let you know that. I want to let you know that, that that's part of the life of Christ. That's the life of being a baptized um, member of his body and the local body called Holy Trinity. So commit that to, I just, again, just want to close with commending that to your prayer, um, your prayerful consideration. And also, let me just say, close, close, P.S. If you're not baptized or you know somebody that isn't baptized, we'd love to just explain more of that. Um, in fact, next week after, after um, our our time together, we'll have an opportunity for anybody interested in understanding more about what baptism means, what it entails. Be happy to talk to you. But, but this is, we are the people of God called the Holy Trinity. We're on the mission that Christ was on to be, we're in that same train of servitude that he was on. And we're empowered by the same spirit that empowered him.